Hello and welcome to episode number four of the Generally Speaking About the Church podcast. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft and this is a podcast production of the Generally Speaking Podcast Network. You can find us on the web at www.generallyspeakingpodcast.com or you can always give us a call and leave your feedback and comments on our listener line at area code 413-521-0958. In episode number three of our podcast, I did my best to answer the question of what is a cell church. Today, in this very podcast, I am going straight to the man who is known as the father of the cell church movement by many people around the world. His name is Dr. Ralph W. Neighbor Jr., and for those of you who have never heard of him, he has been a pioneering pastor, writer, researcher, and teacher for over 50 years. He has written over 30 books that have contributed greatly to the success of a large number of cell churches worldwide. He has held numerous teaching positions in seminaries and has consulted with churches on every continent. Currently, Dr. Neighbor continues to consult with churches and develop useful materials to equip every member for the ministry in the Church of Christ. I did want to explain to everyone before we get started that I have been asked to address Dr. Neighbor by his first name, Ralph, as we are on a first name basis. We have been a part of an email discussion group for cell church leaders for many years now and have exchanged numerous emails in this group and and really have gotten uh, just an abundance of information passed back and forth between cell church pastors and leaders and lay leaders for many years now. And I first heard of Ralph by reading his book, Where Do We Go From Here? And that book I read in 1996, and it was an eye-opening experience for me and had very much become um, the book that really answered a a lot of my questions about the church and why many of the experiences I had growing up in the church did not fit with what I was reading in the Bible. And we're going to probably touch on that a little bit in this interview. So we're going to go ahead and get things started. And I want to first thank you very much, Ralph, for coming and uh, joining us this morning and being a part of this podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. I thought the best way to start this interview would be to ask God's blessings to be upon us during our conversation about his church and I was wondering if you'd be willing to pray along with me as I ask God to guide our conversation today. Yes. Father, uh, we come before you and and just thank you for this day. I I thank you for this awesome opportunity for me to to get to meet and talk with uh, Dr. Neighbor. And and, uh, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide our conversation. I pray that the distractions of uh, life going on in the background here would not distract me from uh, the the conversation and the questions and, and all the great insight that, that you would have to come through uh, in this communication with Ralph. And I just pray that your blessings would be upon him as he speaks. And, and may we hear some, some uh, of your insight into ministry, things that you are doing in the world through the church uh, from him. And just uh, bless and be a part of what we are doing here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty. Ralph, again, I just want to thank you for being a part of this. And I do have uh, several questions that I'd like to ask you today. And the first one is this. 
In the foreword to one of your books, I read that you left the traditional church in 1969, and during the 1980s, you had been trying hard to convince pastors, churches, and even denominations that the future of the local church would require transitioning to a cell-based structure. My question is this, what happened between 1969 and the 1980s that stirred you towards the cell-based structure? Well, I began my ministry uh, involved in traditional church life and got a good look at it when I became involved in the state of Texas, traveling the state uh, with 4,500 Baptist churches. And uh, as I began to realize that less than Ten of them baptized as made as many as a hundred converts a year to be baptized. Began to see the dry rot that had seeped into traditional churchianity, and that uh, it was really talking to itself and not communicating effectively with the world around it. I began to realize that we had to have a parallel model, and I didn't see anyone seriously pursuing the research that would come up with parallel model, and so great risk to uh, my family, uh, we began to move out on our own. I quit my job, came to Houston. I didn't know what I was looking for, just knew the traditional church was not the answer, and began to work on what I called an experimental church, and that became my first attempt at developing an alternative to traditional churchianity. Now, when you started doing that, had you noticed anybody else that was being led by the Spirit to... Uh, try a new model of doing church rather than the traditional way? Uh, Were you in contact with other pastors in either the states or other parts of the world that were being called by God and and led by the Spirit to do a similar thing that you were doing? Yes, the Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C. had impacted me very heavily in the previous years. Uh, Elizabeth O'Connor wrote about them. And uh, I went down to see them and visit with them. And there were also some other movements around at that time. Faith at Work was one of them. There was a young man in Arizona who had written a little book uh, experimenting with things. Uh, Larry Richards was an educator who was writing in this area. Elton Trueblood had done much work in talking about the renewal of the church. So it was a little rat pack of us back there, and we kind of uh, stuck together and shared notes. You know, we said copyright means right to copy. What are we looking for? How is this going to work? One of the biggest questions that I'm asked when I bring up any discussion of the cell church, and I talk about it as if everybody knows what the cell church is, the the, t- the question always comes up is, why do you call yourselves a cell group? What What is a cell group? 
Can you tell us a little bit how the term cell church first came about? I had been working on a uh, doctorate, and my uh, thesis that had been assigned to me by my professor was to study the life and works of a missionary to India who later became a professor at Fuller Seminary. His name was Donald McGavran, and uh, I read his uh, first little booklet, uh, People Movement Method of Missions, and he put me in touch with what was going on in Seoul, Korea. Uh, One day, as we were talking, he said, Ralph, you need to go to Seoul and look at what uh, Yonggi Cho has done. And Cho is the one who actually was using the term cell. We define cell not in the way that uh, it is used now politically, but in a different sense, the sense that all life, living or dead, begins with cells. You have wood cells, you have skin cells, you have blood cells. It's the basic form of life. And uh, I was looking for the basic form of the church called in the Bible, called out people. The term church does not really describe in the American mind what uh, the Greek word ekklesia means, although many and most translations take the word ecclesia and call it church, we tend to define church as a building with a whole bunch of programs. But uh, I was searching for the real thing, and I knew it would be basic, and the word cell is a basic word. So that's how it got started. Recently I did a podcast and explained what is the cell church, at least in my own humble ability I did that. And... Many of our listeners already understand quite a bit about uh, what the cell church is now, at least at least as far as it being not something where it's a bunch of small groups that you attend once a week, but it's a lifestyle. When you're a part of a cell, when you're a part of the body, it, it's something that that you are very much a part of your entire life. It's not something you do once a week. And so with that in mind, what were the most common arguments that you had received against pastors wanting to transition from a traditional-based model to a uh, cell-based model? The redistribution of spiritual authority, the hired holy man, to the understanding that we are all in the priesthood of the kingdom of God, and the distribution of gifts of Christ that are imparted to the body, can be exercised by any member, not just the person who's uh, ordained or who's been to seminary or who is uh, looked upon as a senior pastor. I think the clergy-laity division uh, has been a real curse ever since uh, the bishops many centuries ago, and many church members were terribly threatened in the beginning by the idea that they were supposed to be ministers. 
uh, when they were taken out of their uh, neutral position where they didn't have to do much of anything except support the church and maybe uh, serve on a board or teach a class or something, uh, they became very upset. And many, many pastors in the beginning who said to their people, look, I am only the coach. I am not your pastor. We are all pastors. We're all ministers. They got solidly fired. And uh, my wife and I were continually getting phone calls from dear who had just been by their congregations. The values that underlie the cell church are not in place in the minds of traditional Christians. And before any structure can be changed, values have to be clarified. And this is very hard to do. Yeah, it's a process that I've been involved in for many years now. As I uh, kind of, I guess I confessed in my last podcast that I, I'm so passionate about the cell church movement, but yet I've never been a, a partaker or involved in a full-blown cell church in my entire life. And and yet I've been involved in cell ministry for, uh, well, and leadership of cell ministry for 10 years now. And so it's kind of awkward, and and it's been a consistent battle for me to to defend the the values of the cell church, the the priesthood of all believers. Uh, so I definitely know that argument. Now I'm going to ask you something, and 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 I didn't inform you of this question ahead of time, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Am I right in thinking that your original printing of the book titled "Where Do We Go From Here"? that you were critical of the traditional church being able to accept the values and principles of the cell church movement. And perhaps I, I do recall a statement of wineskins and, and the new wine. Do you want to uh, touch on that a little? Oh, yes. Uh, I, uh, at that time, had decided that anything done in the United States tried to change uh, church life was a waste of my life and my time. And uh, when I wrote that book, it was my parting shot uh, to the USA as I uh, got rid of everything and moved to Singapore, uh, really not intending to ever come back. And uh, I think the causticness, uh, the harshness, the critical attitude that I uh, wrote about in the book uh, upset enough guys in the USA that after they threw it across the room and came back and finished reading it, they were determined to prove me wrong. And that kind of sparked a small movement in the United States, but in reality, it has never taken off as it has in other countries. We are God's oiled rats in the United States. Have radio and television coming out our ears, and uh, we we have a lot of problems. And I can attest to that personally. And and I will tell you that that as as much as I am passionate about it, I stand in my own way many times. And and God knows how many times I have to go before Him and ask for forgiveness. And and sometimes I even struggle. Uh, being in an atmosphere that is 
overly compulsive of using grace, using grace as a crutch rather than a tool for building health and strength within my own life. And, and, and I see that, that everybody around me seems to be struggling with that. And so um, what, let me ask you this. If you were to say anything to somebody that was in a traditional church, the leadership of a traditional church, a large church, are there some things that they could do to transition into a cell church today in your mind? Or do you think that it really needs to be something that starts from the ground up? And and also, another part of the question, do you think what is taking place in in other countries, is it possible to have a... a healthy, growing uh, cell church in the United States with our culture being the way that it is? Yes, it is possible, and there are some excellent models that uh, are here in the United States where uh, things are very dynamic and extremely effective. My favorite model is the Antioch Church in Waco, Texas. You remember the two girls that were... uh, in the prison in uh, Afghanistan, they're from that church. Oh yes, this this church is really vital and alive, and I think it proves what can be done. Uh, there are many, many, many other models uh, in the United States. Unfortunately, none of them have exploded as Belim uh, in El Salvador with 180 thousand members, or Leon Robert in the Ivory Coast, who now has over 200,000 members. Uh, These uh, churches, I don't think, can exist in the United States. I'm not sure about that. It's just my opinion. If there were a traditional church that was trying to transition into a cell church model, what are the key principle core values of the cell church movement that that cannot be negotiated, they are they are an absolute must for this church to be able to transition into the cell church movement. Well, I think first of all they have to realize that their theology or their doctrine of the church uh, is totally unbiblical, and it has been developed through history. Uh, especially through the copycatting of what happened during the Reformation period. And the whole congregation has to be taken on a journey into renewal that will take from three to five years. And during that time, there will be a certain percentage of the total congregation that will catch the vision. And so a pastor needs to... Uh, take a small group of creative people and begin to form a uh, a fellowship group, a discussion group, and work closely with them until they are totally committed. And then he needs to release them to be evangelists for the transition into the congregation. So he is not the focal point of making the change, a change agent that is already in charge of a ministry will get his head cut off, but if he's wise, he will impart the vision to key leaders in the church, 
and let them run with it. This is the way it has been effectively done all over the world uh, for many uh, generations now. The structure of the cell church, uh, there is the 5 by 5 model. Uh, we hear about the G12 model. And then there's the 12 to 3 approach and all these different methods for structuring the church. And yet we read in, in many of the books out there today about the cell church that it's an organic church. It, it, it's, it's, it's made up of the people and, and the approaches are different depending on your situation. Uh, do you prefer one structure of the cell church over the, over the other, specifically when it comes to the American church? Well, I think that there is too much emphasis put on how it is to be organized, because the cell church actually ought to be an organism, and everything you're making reference to uh, has to do with the way man organizes the thing. If you go back to the New Testament, you see the pure cell church in operation in the book of Acts, and there was no organization. And uh, if we begin with a very radical premise, and I'm writing a book about this right now, I hope to have it out by the end of the year, uh, we have to understand that there is a theology that drives this cell church and not a methodology. The focus of church leaders on how am I going to organize the thing is an indictment of the fact that it is man-made and not God-made to begin with. I can see exactly that. Just some of the things that you're saying, they just make so much sense when I when I think about what we're experiencing in our own traditional church that has a cell-based ministry within it, which I know seems to be somewhat of an oxymoron. And, and trust me, there, there are definitely some... There are some internal struggles that, that we are facing, but at the same time, one of the things that I have been blessed with are the number of people who have been changed by the cell church vision in our own ministry, and, and, and it is a ministry that is growing exponentially and thriving, and yet we're existing under a traditional church model. Do you know of any other churches in your experience that you've seen a cell church ministry uh, where where it's very much structured as a cell church within a much larger traditional church? No. Uh, if you have a right wing and a left wing, you don't have a bird of paradise. You have a vulture. And uh, I have seen a number of churches where uh, the tension between wanting to hang on to the old and live in the new theology and new lifestyle was just more than the uh, two groups could bear, and so they divided. Uh, that happened uh, to me in the very first experiment here in Houston, and I wrote a book about that entitled The Seven Last Words of the Church. Uh, I, I'd like to explore with you a little bit the basic a theological premise that should be at the heart of any cell church that uh, undertakes to go in this direction. Can we do that for a moment or two? Absolutely. Go ahead and say whatever you'd like to say on that point. This uh, G12 and 5x5 and all the rest of it is missing 
reality. The reality is God is a community. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everything he has created in the universe, including man, has been made for one common reason, and that is that the one who is invisible may reveal visibly his characteristics. And the church as we know it has failed to communicate one of his most important attributes. That is the fact that he is a community. He lives in fellowship as a trinity. And individual Lone Ranger Christians will never be capable by themselves of communicating the Godhead. Yet we know that the fullness of the Godhead dwells within us, according to Paul. The fullness of that Godhead is in the sent one, the one who is called Christ, the anointed one, the Son. The Son is the agent of the Godhead, and he has been sent into this world to do three specific things. Two of those things he could perform while incarnated in the body of Jesus. The first of those was to declare the Basileia, the kingdom of God. It had come to take the kingdoms of this world by force, and will one day drive them out of existence and become the only kingdom. So that was the message of the Son, Christ, who came. The second task could fulfill in the body of Jesus was the crucifixion, the atonement for the sin of all mankind. He had a third task to fulfill. And that could never be done as long as he was limited in his presence in one body, one human body. And so that body was removed from the earth, and he returned on the day of Pentecost as Shekinah fire, not, not burning fire like we get from wood, but the glory of God fire that Moses saw in the burning bush, the Shekinah fire fell upon a community in an upper room, and he returned that moment in that upper room to dwell within his new body. That body is made up of men and women who have been, who have received within their own spirit the Spirit of Christ. And so Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And then Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that it is not the work of man, but the work of the Holy Spirit to take these Christ-filled human bodies and link them together, join them together, in a spiritual baptism or immersion that makes them one body, and that is Christ's new body. The thing that we often are missing is the fact that a true cell is the literal 
body of Jesus Christ placed in a piece of this earth where it can reveal his reality. And 1 Corinthians 14, 24, and 25 says so very clearly, when that body of people are gathered together, when that cell, that small group, are gathered together, and an unbeliever or ungifted one is in their midst, that is, observing what's happening, and every member of that body are prophesying. Now, the word prophesying in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 does not refer to some Pentecostal hoodoo. It's referring to what Paul meant when he said all should prophesy. Prophesying is when the indwelling Christ within his new body is operating through the various members, imparting to them his presence and his power, which is manifest by the activity of the Holy Spirit, who is the agent who transmits between Christ and the body members those ministry gifts that can reveal the indwelling Christ. So our evangelism has to be radically discarded. No more nonsense about God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, or if you were to die today and God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? We have made our appeal to come to Christ very, very self-centered, very humanistic. What is the big man going to do for me, the little guy? When in reality, that body exists in order that Christ might reveal himself. So the unbeliever, instead of hearing a sermon or a lecture, is the observer of the action of Christ functioning within his own body. The ecclesia, the called out ones, those who have been joined and baptized by the Holy Spirit as they manifest his activity, the unbeliever falls on his face and says, Wow, God is among you. And he, he then repents, knowing that in the transparency he has observed and the power he has witnessed, he has finally found the solution to his own self-centered and deep life. So, if we understand that the cell is the most holy thing God places in this earth that can exist in any generation, any geography, any century, for the revelation of the Christ, he has been sent to do three tasks. And that third task requires not the traditional church, with its buildings and its trappings and its programs and all of its traditions. It requires a community of godly people who are filled with Christ. And I would further go on to say one of our problems that we've got to solve is the fact that we have overstressed the place of the Holy Spirit. That is not in any way for me to demean the life and work activity of the Holy Spirit. But we have made it to the point when Christ has been 
behind the scenes. When the uh, in the research I've done in 1905 when Azusa Street uh, took off, uh, even back that early, the first men who were promoting the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in some of their writings have indicated they had to repent as they they uh, took the centrality of Christ out of their theology. And so we've got a lot of reforming to do. Uh, a man can put together a cluster of people to meet in a home. They can be done as a man-made cell. But as they get to know each other, as they learn how to solve the conflicts that are among them, and Christ breaks into the reality, they, they become a God-made cell. They begin to manifest the presence and power of Christ. And that is when the true self exists. And I think especially in America, a high percentage of cells are really hyped as they do not recognize the holiness of Christ in their midst and that they are the servants of that Christ. Their evangelistic message is nothing more than the observation of Christ working through them. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. In fact, I'd like to explain to our listeners and and also to you uh, my experience and how I came into the cell church just real briefly. And and some people would laugh when I say those two words and and start off with that sentence. But really, I I grew up in the traditional church, uh, never taken to church, but always sent to church by my parents and went to Nazarene churches, Methodist churches, Pentecostal churches, Baptist churches, and Throughout all my childhood, I remember going to Sunday school class. I remember going to church Sunday mornings at certain places, Sunday evenings, other places, vacation Bible schools. And I've all, from the time I was a child, I was always intrigued by who is this God. And I remember asking as a small child, uh, what is this salvation? How do I get into heaven? And I remember somebody telling me at that time, simply next Sunday when the pastor says, come forward, if anybody would like to become a Christian and be saved, just come forward and say that publicly in front of everybody and you're saved. Well, I did that, obviously. That is like, okay, that's what I need to do. That's what I did. No life change in me whatsoever. I didn't feel anything different, I, but I believed I was saved and I was going to heaven. I remember that was around when I was eight or so years old, probably. And fast forward to when I was about 15 years old, I went to a Pentecostal church, and I started attending that church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Never missed a single service. But it wasn't because of the awesomeness of the presence of God, but more because there was beautiful women in this church. And uh, But at the same time, while I, I went there with wrong motives, I began to sense the presence of God in the community of people, and, and again, I started to feel this draw. You know, how, how can I be sure that I'm saved? And I asked somebody, you know, how do I know if I'm saved or not? And I remember a very kind person saying, well, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he walked this earth? Yes. Do you believe that he was perfect? Yes. Do you believe that man was uh, created by God and then fell to sin? Yes. I believe all those things. 
And they said, well, do you believe that he died for you and that he rose again and that if you accept him, then then you will be saved. And if you believe and accept him in your heart and you repent of your sins, you'll be saved. And I believed all those things and I said, well, I must be saved. So I'm, I'm good to go. So I lived on from the time I was 15 years old until I was 18 years old, still believing that I had this relationship with God. Because it's always, I always heard that it's about a relationship with God and and living, you know, in the body of Christ, being a part of it. But I heard all the language, I knew all the knowledge that they had given me, but never really felt it. And when I read the Bible, when I was reading the Bible... I, I seem to be disconnected. What I read in the Bible does not match what I live in my experience in the church. Until one day I was invited to come to a cell group. And it wasn't until about four weeks of attending this cell group and just watching. Now, this cell group was very informal. It had seemingly no structure, but it was a bunch of people. It was a group of people between the ages of 18 and probably in the early 40s. And this group of people got together and talked about their life together, just talking about what was going on throughout their week. They would bring their Bibles and share things that they had been reading and struggling with, understanding, and and just the community. And I'll tell you what, I had never in my life felt the presence of God up to that point until that moment in my life. And as you said, surely God was among those people. And it was just weeks after attending this cell group that I said, I've got something, I'm missing something here. You guys have something that I don't. And I saw that these were imperfect people and they had struggles just like me, but yet at the same time they were full of joy and I wanted to know the source of that joy. And it was a result of that that I first learned as an 18-year-old person growing up in the church for the first time in a cell group did I actually realize what it means to have a relationship with the living God? Wow. That is exactly what drew me to the Cell Church movement, and I've been, I've been involved in it since December 9th, 1991. And, and so what you have just said is, is exactly what, what I've been passionately trying to share with so many people. And, and uh, I, I, I'm doing it currently in a traditional model church, and there seems to be some leadership that has grown towards the, the cell movement, and, and God has definitely placed me where I am, and, and it's a very unique situation, but uh, we do have a thriving, growing cell ministry, and yet we do very much struggle with keeping the centrality of Christ as our as our primary focus and, and, and power of our group. And I'm so thankful to talk to you about this today. I, it's just been a blessing. And I think that we've got enough content from this to share with them. And I know all of them will be listening to this. So I just want to thank you so much for sharing that. And my last question is, if there's any one last thing that you want to say about the resources and ministry that you have at Touch USA. Uh, we have a special website it's called Touch Local, and that's G-L-O-C-A-L. It's a combination of local and local, touchlocal.com. So the website is www.touchlocal.com, and we have many, many extension courses. that can take online, or uh, we can uh, send out 
CDs with the course material on it uh, for those who may not have a high-speed connection for distance learning. And uh, Bill Beckham and I and a number of other uh, Cell Church uh, people have uh, contributed our resources, and uh, we have many, many courses that uh, those interested in leadership levels of the Cell Church will find invaluable. I'm finishing right now a very critical course on how to reach Muslims, and uh, I think it is one that many, many people ought to be focused on. Well, thank you very much, Ralph, for being a part of this interview. I know that it took a lot out of your busy schedule, and uh, we have been listening to Ralph via the Internet. I used a program called Skype to call him over the Internet to his home telephone there in Houston, Texas. And so some of the interview, it's kind of hard to hear a little bit of the detail. And as far as the website that he had mentioned for Touch Glocal, that is www.touch, T-O-U-C-H. And then it's, if you just think of G Local, and that is G-L-O-C-A-L dot com. That's www.touch G-L-O-C-A-L dot com. And one way to remember that, it says global plus local equals the global experience. So, Ralph, once again, I just want to thank you. It, It has been a tremendous blessing for me to have this opportunity to ask you questions. It's been a privilege to know you over these past few years of doing email together. And uh, this has been a dream of mine ever since I started thinking about doing podcasting of one day, podcasting about the Cell Church and interviewing uh, people who have been involved in the ministry. And what a blessing it has been to do an interview with a man who is known by many people around the world as the father of the Cell Church movement. Uh, Just thank you for such an honor. Well, thank you. And I've appreciated this uh, time of, of being with you. Well, that concludes my interview with Dr. Ralph W. Neighbor Jr. I hope you enjoyed the uh, wonderful insight into the Cell Church. I do really encourage each and every one of you to please give me some feedback on what you thought about this podcast. You can do that in one of three ways. Uh, One is you can go to the show notes of this website uh, that hosts our podcast, and you can get there by going to www.generallyspeakingpodcast.com There you will see three podcast shows listed and you click on About the Church and there will be a link uh, immediately available for comments at the end of the show notes of this podcast episode number four. Uh, Another way is you can email me and that's uh, cliff, C-L-I-F-F at ravenscraft.org and that's R-A-V-E-N-S C-R-A-F-T dot O-R-G. And the third way, and the most preferable way, if you are able to call long distance to 413-521-0958, please give me a call and leave a message on our voicemail listener line. Again, that phone number is 413-521-0958. And would you do me a favor, if you are involved in any cell church out there, Please tell other people about this show. 
about this podcast and specifically about this interview with Dr. Neighbor, that would be a tremendous blessing to me. Two voicemail messages from previous shows that I would like to go ahead and play for you. And the first one is from Jeremiah. Hey, Cliff, this is Jeremiah from the Faith Media Podcast, uh, calling from Knoxville, Tennessee today. I was just calling to comment on your Generally Speaking About the Church podcast. I was going to let you know I really enjoyed that. And uh, that time with Alex, both the, both the interview and the music, uh, like so many other people, I, I stumbled upon, generally speaking, from your Lost podcast, and I, I'm really glad to see you branching out and um, being able to share your faith uh, through this About the Church podcast. I think it has a lot of really great, um, what was I going to say, a lot of really great possibilities, and I'm looking forward to the next episode. Uh, I had a question for you. I was actually curious if you were going to try to have like a guest each week like you did with Alex uh, in the first episode of About the Church, or if uh, you're going to fly solo some on that podcast. Um, also, um, I was just really enjoyed it once again, and um, I hope to hear from you soon. And have a great day. Bye. Thank you very much, Jeremiah. And to answer your question, I will be flying solo from time to time, but I will also be doing interviews just like I did with uh, Dr. Neighbor, and I hopefully will be able to line up some more interviews with Joel Comiskey and some other pastors from around the world that are doing Cell Church uh, full-time, and also I plan on bringing in people that I do ministry with, uh, just other lay leaders within the church, and have some descriptions of or descriptions, some discussions of things that we face in ministry from day to day, and talking about how we resolve some issues within the church and and how we do life together. So, yeah, th- this will be a multi-format, and uh, the topics will pretty much stay around pretty much a practical discussion of the church and how we do ministry and more specifically from the Cell Church perspective. So thank you very much, Jeremiah, for listening, and hope that you've enjoyed the show. And I do have one other comment that was left on our voicemail, and this was from last week's show, What is a Cell Church? Hi, Cliff. Eric Vols calling from northern Sweden. Got uh, your email through the Cell Church list with your link to your podcast number three. Just want to encourage you, brother. Keep on keeping on. There's a lot of folks that uh, are wanting to move through into the new paradigm, that being that which uh, you're sharing. And I just want to encourage you as a fellow believer who's been out there in the field over 20 years, planting small groups or cells or house churches or whatever the situation might require. I just want to encourage you, bro. Keep on. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Eric, and calling from Sweden, no less, and uh, what a blessing that is. Uh, Great to hear your voice, and hopefully I'll hear from several other people that I've been emailing uh, back and forth with over the years on the Cell Church list. So again, thank you everybody very much. This podcast I want to keep under 50 minutes, so I'm going to go now. May God richly bless each and every one of you, and uh, may all of us be involved in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And uh, may we do that by living life together with other people. God bless.